Hi, I'm Charles. Hi, I'm Bailey. And you are listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week, we pick out something spooky and explore it. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me already? <laughs> I know, it's weird when we're in person. We're in person, by the way. Um, This week, our episode is titled lost and abandoned so we are bringing you one story of lost and one story of abandoned yes except mine is not exactly one story but you know how i roll (laughs) it's never just one story with charles so how are you why are you laughing i'm good i'm glad that i can see you in person glad that we're both vaccinated yes um what else oh well yeah what are you afraid of today? She's got a lot to be afraid of. <laughs> uh, everything is perfect in my life all the time. I don't want to share that with you. I mean, you don't have to share. I've that. shared it with you. I just don't want to share it with you, the collective listener. I don't like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Hold on to that thought because before you answer to what you're scared of, I have a special shout out to you remember um dehydrated fruit girl yeah fruit girl yeah so she told me that not only has she listened to every single one of our episodes but she's listened to most of them twice oh my gosh that's so nice i know i was like that is so nice of you i don't know if she wants me to give out her name well thank you fruit girl yeah thank you fruit girl also other important announcements to those who care we are currently a bi-weekly podcast now. Um, yeah. Yeah. We want to emphasize qu- quality over quantity. And Charles and I wanted to also give you guys like consistency. We know there's been a few times in the last few months where we've had to skip an episode. And so it's more important to us that you guys have reliable and quality content. So we've decided to go bi-weekly. Yeah, yes. Bi-weekly. We love that for us. Um, so yes, back to what are you afraid of today? Um, doesn't have to be big. I guess the story I'm telling today, I'm, it's, uh, I, it's a very complicated story. So I've had to like edit it down for clarity and for just time reasons because we could spend like our whole hour just talking about my story (laughs) um so i guess i'm just like worried like what if i cut out something that i should have left in or Mm. something like that um but i think that i got the main things that i wanted to hit and i will obviously have my sources available to you guys so if you want to know more you'll always be able to look it up for yourself do your own work why do i have to do everything for you (laughs) (laughs) what about you well I, after reading my stories, and you know how much I love to go out into nature. Walking children in nature. I just, um, I got a little, a little scared about, like, going back out, like, walking and hiking and thinking, like, I don't know, maybe I'm not as safe as I thought I was. Or always think I am. Because you are truly, like, in a very vulnerable state. And most times that I go, it's not, like, a big, long hiking, like, huge trail. But 
you know, I never really prepare for like, what if I get stuck there overnight? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. But you could, you could always just like pack extra in case. I could. But will you? But most of the time I just bring my keys on my phone. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's, I mean, it's a relatively safe trail. Although people might have been murdered there in the past, but like people have been murdered everywhere. So that's. Yeah. Nothing. You can't really go anywhere where there's not a body. No. I'm sure someone is murdered in this very apartment. You think? Complex. Oh, the complex? Maybe I would be willing apartment. to bet that. Yeah. I I don't feel any weird vibes from this apartment, thankfully. I was really hoping that when I moved in, it wouldn't be like... I would like come here and start seeing all kinds of <laughs> spirits and I don't yeah. know. I really have anything that I have like think I've seen, I've just disregarded and didn't pay attention to it. <laughs> I'm just like, so oh, like, just pass on through. It may be through. haunted, but you're just choosing to ignore right. it. I'm just saying, pass on through. <laughs> you do you. You got to walk through that wall, you go. Uh, we don't have a facts and figures this go around because it was kind of hard. Bailey and I, we loved the topic that we chose, but we kind of took like two opposite sides of that topic, which we've never done before. <laughs> yeah, um, we're always so I'm always insane. so like kind of intrigued that we... Even most times, like, it feels like we take the opposite stance that we normally would, just, like, talking about a topic. Yeah. Like, with the psychics. Like, you were, like, I, you know, I think she might have really known what was going on. And mine was, like, these psychics are scamming people. <laughs> yeah, but, like, we do usually take very different roads on mm-hmm. our on our topic. And this week's topic that we, like, originally discussed was just super broad. And so we just ended up going on two very different paths. But I think it's going to make for a cool and interesting episode. I think so, too. I am really excited to hear about yours because I've... I know of it, but I don't know about it. Yeah. Well, Bailey's back in um, her hick town. Yeah. The town that we originated from. Good yeah. old Oklahoma. Well, that's a state. But... I don't know. Maybe I don't want you to know where I live. It's mostly the same everywhere in Oklahoma. You get it. Today we had to watch this. Um, so I'm a teacher and I'm like getting ready for the new year and we're doing um, this like reorientation thing, like getting back into teaching and stuff. But <laughs> we watched this um, video of this these two parents who are really into... They're very well-intentioned, and, like, I think what they have to say is good, but it's just wrapped, like, a little too cheesy for me. Mm-hmm. For example, like, no hate to them at all if they ever stumble upon this podcast, but, like... I hate them. They say that, like, adults eventually develop adultitis, which is, like, you know, getting stale, not, like, losing, like, the luster for life. I get it. And, like... To I think me, that's just depression. <laughs> to me, I think it could have been like presented in a less cheesy way. Yeah, and I would have been more receptive to it. Um, they are like good people, so like I said, no hate towards them. But there's this one thing that they did to you know have life be a little more zany, a little more fun, a little bit more crazy because that's what they do. But like their definition of like we just did some like fun crazy things seems very like reverse cowgirl. It just seems. <laughs> <laughs> they did talkie style but on a tuesday um oh. no they i'm just kind of a which i don't like saying that like i'm not no i'm a weird person but like i compared to the normal average person i am a bit weirder than freak. You, you consider me just a bit weirder than the average person 
Look, I honestly, when it comes to gauging what is normal, I am not the person to <laughs> to ask. bounce that off. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, okay, but for example, they were like, I decided to like have like a dance in the kitchen party. I'm like, whoa. Oh. Watch that's out. That's like a little too crazy. Can you even talk about that in school? But what was worse, Bailey, is that they did that. Look, have fun with your kids whatever way you want, okay? But I never, ever want to see this again. They laid out one of those party cloths, like vinyl things. Oh, like a tablecloth? Yeah. A vinyl tablecloth. And we got there. <laughs> it was like party themed. They made spaghetti, and instead of plates, no, they just dumped it in the middle, and then everybody like grabbed it. I'm sorry, with their hand and ate it, and they called it a barbarian, like spaghetti party. <laughs> what the fuck? That is what I'm afraid of today. I was afraid of too. I was like, I never want to see that again. And then I see this lady. Gra- after they're all done she just takes up the tablecloth i hope she just rinsed it off and reused it but that's not what it looked like she was gonna do she like grabbed it and, like crinkled up like she was just gonna throw it away and i'm like yeah i think that's what most people do with those vinyl tablecloths and like recycle the darn mm, thing the like, ocean needs more plastic you're right the ocean doesn't need more la- plastic. it's really lacking in plastic honestly i feel like we don't even have enough plastic in the world we should have more Plastic. This is a pro plastic pro podcast. Pro plastic podcast. Ooh, <laughs> say that ten times fast. No. Pro plastic podcast. Pro, pro, nope. Can't even get to do pro plastic podcast. <laughs> okay, pro plastic podcast. Like, pro plastic podcast. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I have not moved on from this. From this, this barbarian spaghetti party. And notice how I said barbarian. Yeah. The way that this guy does art. Fantastic artist, by the way. Wait, I'm sorry. Who? Can you roll it back to, like, who are these people and why are they on a video teaching you how to teach? Um, They're not really teaching how to teach. They're just, like, um, I think they even, I'm pretty sure they have, like, degrees. But, like, they're sort of, like, life coaches in a way for families. Like, helping families find, like, a new zest for life. Like, helping parents not be so, like, cut and dry with their kids. Which I'm all for. Yeah. But it's just, so I I don't respond well to too cheesy when you're, like, trying to make something way more fun, like, do you know than this, it's not. Sorry, this, did you see my face? This is giving me flashbacks. Do you remember during quarantine when you and I would FaceTime and we would work out together? Because- <laughs> that dance party? Is that what you're about to say? Yes, because Planet Fitness was like streaming workouts and we tuned in one day and it was like a family workout and it was like this family like, we're so kooky and yeah, we're zany. so crazy. And then they did a dance party for the workout and it was like the most vanilla it was like, dance party you've was, ever seen. And they were like, oh, we're getting so wild. Oh my gosh, getting I know. Crazy. We're getting so wild. Me and Bailey really would just like, <laughs> we'd get on this live stream. FaceTime at the same time and would just do these workouts together or do what we could because we were also living through a pandemic and getting even more depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was this one like dancer that she had that Bailey and I just kept doing it at any time because she like did this like kind of like rope cowboy thing where she yeah. kind of like galloped in a circle. She was galloping like a horse 
it was like a uh, she was a, a centaur cowboy because <laughs> she was galloping like a horse with her legs, but then pretending that she was lassoing with her arms. Mm-hmm. And she was like, if if like you ever need a break from the workout, you can always go yeah. back to this move. Need a cool down. <laughs> it was so. <laughs> It was like, it was cringy. That's the word I'm looking for. It was so cringe. Yeah. It was cringy. My face hurts from smiling. Um, <laughs> they, I, this family that you watch this video, they just remind me of that dance party family. It, they very should all get much, together for a handheld spaghetti dinner. Very much same vibes. <laughs> That's honestly tracking back. That is what I'm scared of today. And oh, back to his like art. Okay. Amazing artist. I'll show yeah. you later. Um, but the way that he kind of finishes off his art is by including words and they look kind of like you know those ransom notes that people used to do with like cut out letters yeah and from words well it's kind of like that and he does like little phrases sometimes they make sense sometimes i'm like could have done without um there was one um that he did for that pasta barbarian pasta thing but it was split up barb Aryan, and i was like oh so were these like the title cards for what they were discussing he like made an art piece yeah and and it was barb Aryan. yeah and i was like why are you splitting up i was like that's just a why away from being from being so bad like um, it does sound very Aryan. this yes well (laughs) this whole escapade (laughs) that's a white this is white culture yeah i'm like look white people do have a culture but it's not good you don't want it yeah you don't want it nobody <laughs> wants it it's um it's cringe yeah. cringe it's like, culture is white culture it felt very like this salt is too spicy for me yeah oh i bet that was that spaghetti was so bland i bet, <laughs> I bet it was like just white like not whole grain or white, white bleached spaghetti mm-hmm. with uh just like a jar yeah. Of tomato sauce and like no seasoning. I think that. No cheese? Probably. Yeah. A, I st- oh, and the lady looked like, I don't remember the lady, the character's name from Harry Potter, but the one who like saw the, she was the fortune teller lady. Trelawney. Yeah. Her. And she looked just like her. And the dad, I don't know, like low key would smash. No. But. Charles. I wouldn't stick around. You wouldn't want to hang out for some barbarian spaghetti <laughs> dinner after. <laughs> I feel like you'd try to give me like a motivational talk like during, during and afterward. And not like good boy. Do you know one time I s- slept with someone and they wanted me to stay for a meal after? And Stay I, for a meal? Yeah, I was getting dressed and they were like, oh, do you want breakfast? And I just said, No. <laughs> just like that just no yeah i was like i go oh no (laughs) does that make it better (laughs) i said oh oh no no just like flat tone like that i don't usually have like a lot of animation in my speech i feel like to me you do well Well, that's because i I like you sometimes you deliver some like lines in a tone way that like makes you think that you're serious and it like sounds upsetting like you're upset and i'm like is she mad but then i had to learn to be like she's kidding just like yeah. shoot something back at her and then she'll be like ha, 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 ha. yeah i'm i'm really like very rarely upset like or like mad 
I'm, I'm usually sad. <laughs> She's re- we're lying to ourselves today. Shut up. I'm usually sad, but I'm very rarely angry. Hmm. I just, um, yeah, I have a very dry sense of humor, I think. But she is a Pisces to the core. You really are like the perfect definition <laughs> of a Pisces. Very I'm... emotional, which is good. Yeah. Cries a lot. Healthy. Okay, but I, I, for a good reason. It's not like I cry over nothing. Sometimes. Most of the time. <laughs> what have I cried over Most that? Most of the time you cry for a good reason. Yeah. But I feel like there are definitely times. I can't name them, but I know so, there are times that, that you that have just... sounds fake because you can't even bring no. up a single example. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Sometimes you just cry. Crying's good for you. More like there's another, there's another Pisces who is my best friend's wife and she um yeah she's a pisces she cries at everything if it's happy it's sad it is good to cry crying is is a emotional release it's good i'm an aquarius we don't show emotions. yeah you guys don't or at least people don't think we do i mean i have seen you emote (laughs) I've seen you emote. I've seen it. I feel like I stare. That's like staring at you with like a blank face, and then just it's like, and there's like a little thought bubble, and then like an emoji that's showing what I'm feeling. Yeah, that's essentially what what you do. Or just like a a very like square type text that's like sad, happy. Yeah. No, I mean I do think over the years because we've been friends for a long time now. How you long have, have got friends again. I think we're at like year six now. That's pretty good. And I, you've got over that time, you have gotten better about like stating your emotions, mm. but then you don't always like exp- express them. So you'll just like I'll, you'll just say to me, like, I'm feeling sad right now, <laughs> but there's like no affect to it. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm feeling sad right now. Yeah, very melancholy. It's the same as you being like, I need to go to the store later. Just like oh. I'm enraged. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm like, which I'm very rarely like angry. Yeah. But different. I do cry. I think the last time that I cried, besides like a show or something that maybe kind of got to me, probably my dog died. She's yeah. right there. The urn? The box over there. Hey, Gracie. Dog in a box, dog in a... Is that insensitive? No. Okay. You want to know what's funny? Hmm. <laughs> How'd I do that with my finger? <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. That's not funny. I mean, no, no, no. That is... What? Hello. Not offensive. You're there we go. from the top. Courtney was like... Her dog. She was like, Kylo is... You know, he's really... I may have said it's already, but maybe not. She said, Kylo has like been really afraid of the fireworks. It was the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. She was like, it's just really been stressing him out. And... I said, which at this time in July, Gracie has been dead already. She's was put down and I have her ashes. And I said, you know, Gracie, the fireworks really haven't bothered her this year. <laughs> like at all. It's like she doesn't even make a sound. And Courtney looked at me like, and then it like clicked in her head. And then she was like, oh, coping with humor. Yeah. Well, we must. Yes. It's all we have left. My therapist said it's okay to cope with humor as long as you know it's coping. Like, as long as you know that it's not, like, avoiding your feelings. Like, if you're just 
making a joke and like you're still like addressing your feelings sure if you're making a joke to like not feel anything yeah yeah, then that's not okay but it's okay to be funny about sad things but also like when it's appropriate like don't be at a funeral and be like thank god that bitch is gone (laughs) oh (laughs) i'm not supposed to do that (laughs) my bad i have some apologies to me (laughs) have you done that at a funeral i haven't said like uh, i've made a joke at a funeral oh yeah wasn't about something about dr pepper so, like, my grandpa died, and he, like, TVH was not a very good person, so I didn't feel particularly bummed about it. Oh. And um, it was, like, this was the most country bumpkin fucking funeral in the whole world. It was also the funniest funeral, because, <laughs> so my grandpa did not want to be buried in the family plot. He wanted to be buried in the cat cemetery, that he had made over the course of like 20 years Um, because my grandpa was like obsessed with cats and he adopted a bunch of cats and then when they died he would commission like fucking marble headstones for them and bury them on this farm that he has here in Oklahoma and so that that he (laughs) wanted a lot already (laughs) he wanted to be buried with them and so the family so we all had to go out to the cat graveyard to bury my grandpa and um he loved Dr. Pepper like, if you were sick, he'd be like, you need to drink a Dr. Pepper. He yeah. was, he just. Those 23 flavors, they just do something magical. Yeah. And so we were at the funeral and my my younger brother was like very young at this time. Because uh, this is several years ago and everyone like had Dr. Pepper to like have a toast and then they put one. Okay, also. Let me preface this why I was at the end of my rope by this fucking point because um so first of all the music for the funeral was someone opened their truck and played Spotify radio at full volume and they didn't have premium so <laughs> no not an ad <laughs> so it'd be like in the arms of the angels new Doritos Locos Tacos Taco <laughs> Um, while in this cat cemetery while I'm standing in the cat cemetery with a family that does not particularly like me and the feeling is mutual (laughs) and my aunt had printed out the programs but her printer ran out of ink so all the programs are like half printed (laughs) this is getting worse by the second (laughs) so I'm already oh and the someone one I think it was my cousin brought their dog so the dog's running all over the fucking like burial plot and so that's the scene that we're dealing with here. I'm, I'm already done. And then um, they put a, a doctor. We're all toasting with Dr. Pepper, like in memory of my grandpa. And then they put a can of Dr. Pepper next to his urn. And I'm like taking a drink of my Dr. Pepper. And my little brother goes, why isn't grandpa drinking his Dr. Pepper? <laughs> What did you say? I spit. I laughed. I like choked on the fucking Dr. Pepper because I laughed. And then we all had to take a picture. And I was like, why are we taking a picture at a funeral? So I didn't know if I should like smile or not. And I decided like, well, it's a picture. So I'm going to smile. And then when they posted the pictures on Facebook, I'm the only one smiling. So it looks like I'm I'm thrilled that my grandpa is dead and everyone else is mourning. Yeah, we know who did it. Yeah. Oh my god, Bailey. <laughs> oh, and then we all had to lower him into the into the his we like buried him in an urn in the ground. Uh 
So we all had to lower his urn into the ground together, like using these ropes that we attached. And it was just very, he, we dropped him. I mean, he didn't like spill or anything. Oh, that's good. Because it was sealed. That's good. But yeah, it was um, a real experience. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm like excited to hear your story. Okay, let's get so, into it. So do you have a would you rather? Yes. So <laughs> my would you rather is, would you rather have an extra set of teeth or an extra set of hands? <laughs> <laughs> the face that I just gave Bailey. That was very like, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, I'm going to go with extra set of teeth because I can always like replace one with the other set you know and if these teeth get jacked I can just take out the other ones and put them in front I mean they're not like dentures like they're in a fixed position in your mouth I can get cosmetic dental surgery I just don't know I just don't know about these hands where are these hands wherever you want I don't like the extra hands It'd be useful to have extra hands, maybe. I'm not feeling into it. Extra teeth, final answer. Okay. What would you choose? I think extra teeth. <laughs> Nashy with my terrible gnashers. But, like, also when I tell you my story, you might wish you had the hands. <sighs> okay. Okay. Let me set the scene. <laughs> It's November 4th, 1970. A woman who is almost completely blind, stricken with cataracts, wanders into a Los Angeles County welfare office. She's looking for an office with social services for the blind, but she's entered the wrong room. With her is a little girl who looks to be about eight. The girl cannot talk. She is incontinent, and she salivates and spits. She has nearly two complete sets of teeth which is um, uh, a really rare dental condition, and she can barely chew or swallow. She cannot fully focus her eyes or extend her limbs. So. Okay. <laughs> the social workers in the office are, like, immediately, like, what the fuck is this, basically? Right. Um, they fixate on this little girl. They come to find out that she is 13 years old. Now, they had thought she was about eight because she weighed just 59 pounds. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so the woman who is with her is Susan. Or, nope. The woman who is with her um, is her mother. And the little girl would later come to be known as Jeannie, the feral child. Uh so the reason why the little girl was given the name Jeannie was explained by a linguist who worked with her named Susan Curtis in a 1997 documentary. Uh, she said, the name is Jeannie because this is not a person's real name. But when we think about what a genie is, a genie is a creature that comes out of a bottle or whatever, but emerges into human society past childhood. We assume that it really isn't a creature that had a human childhood. End quote. So this is the story of Jeannie Wiley, the feral child who was raised in near complete isolation. Oh my goodness. Okay. So my sources for this were a were Wikipedia, We Love We Stand, a Guardian article by Rory Carroll, and an all that's interesting article by Andrew Milne. Alright. So 
let's talk about who Jeannie was. So Jeannie was the last and uh, second surviving of four children who were born to her parents in Arcadia, California. Her father's name was Clark Wiley, and he was a factory worker who also um, worked as a flight mechanic during World War II and then continued working in aviation afterward. Her mother was named Irene Oglesby. She was around 20 years younger than Clark. And she was from an Oklahoma farming family, and she had ended up in Arcadia uh, because she was fleeing the Dust Bowl. So during her uh, early childhood, Irene, Jeannie's mother, had sustained a severe head injury, uh, which gave her neurological damage that affected her her whole life and caused uh, her vision to degenerate over the course of her lifetime. Wait, so this is Arcadia, Oklahoma? No, this is Arcadia, California. Oh. But Irene is from Oklahoma. She had gone to Arcadia fleeing the Dust Bowl. Oh, okay. And what is the she... place here in Oklahoma that starts with an A? It's got that like famous pop soda store. Is that Arcadia? It might be Arcadia. There can be two Arcadias. There can. Um, I don't know. Not important. Yeah. I, I just saying. thought this was near the soda shop that I've never no. been to, but it's a very this famous soda shop. soda shop. This is in California. Okay. So, and Irene, Jeannie's mother, had... Uh, her vision was deteriorating in her eye, one of her eyes over the course of her lifetime because of a head injury that she got in childhood. This will be relevant later. Okay. So Jeannie's father mostly grew up in orphanages uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So his father, his, so Jeannie's grandfather, Clark's father, died of a lightning strike. Whoa. Yeah. How random is that? Um, leaving Clark's father to raise him on her own. So to make money, she ran a brothel. And because of her uh, work, she very infrequently saw uh, Clark. Um, and he had a pretty strained relationship with his... Sorry. Why are you laughing? I was thinking of that line from House Bunny where she's like, this is a sorority, not a brothel. And then Anna Ferris goes, a brothel? I'm not looking to make soup. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that movie's underrated. It's so good. It's Please watch House Bunny. Um, okay. So because of her sex work, Clark's mother was not very present in his life. And this caused like a lot of strain on their relationship. And uh, he ended up harboring like really extreme resentment toward his mom. He had big old mommy issues um, during childhood. And later, so scientists who would study Jeannie believe that this was the root cause of her father's anger problems. Mm. Um, so, but when Clark Wiley grew up and became an adult, he and his mother seemed to have like reached some kind of reconciliation based on the research that I found. And uh, she actually began visiting him frequently. And then he became like obsessed with their relationship. And he prioritized his relationship with his mother above all of the other relationships in his life, including his relationship with his wife and children. Um, when Jeannie's parents first got married, despite the fact that there was a 20-year age gap between them, they initially seemed really happy to the people that knew them. Uh, but soon after that, Clark became really controlling. Um, he would not allow his wife to leave the home and would beat her pretty frequently. Also, trigger warnings obviously all around for like abuse of pretty much every kind just so you know before we get into more details yay <laughs> um yeah sorry um and then 
can we just stop sexually abusing people or abusing people period yeah let's just like quit everybody quit it stop just be not just being fucking dick fucking normal we all have mommy issues okay we all have mommy or daddy issues or both we've we got don't issues get... <laughs> we all have got issues. them too we don't get to hurt people because of it um so uh and then the abuse also like contributed to her eyesight uh deteriorating um and Jeannie's mom and then uh she also had the uh severe cataracts and a detached retina in one eye so she over the course of their marriage because of her blindness became increasingly dependent on her husband Clark a detached retina yeah I don't even want to know. I mean, it is like what it sounds. Yeah. Does it hurt? I can't imagine it'd be comfy. Um. So, Jeannie's father had like a weird thing with noise. He like wouldn't allow his family to own a radio or like watch television. It was really controlling. He, he um, did not want children because he thought they would be too noisy. He had like a really high sensitivity to, to noise. And um but around five years into their marriage, Irene became pregnant. And despite the fact that Clark did continue physically abusing her throughout the pregnancy, and near the end of her first pregnancy even attempted to strangle her to death, she did give birth to um an apparently healthy daughter. Uh trigger warning. Clark found the cries of his daughter disturbing, so he put her in the garage. And this was a time where the weather was, like, kind of cold. Um, even in California, they have cold times. And uh, unfortunately, the baby caught pneumonia and died at the age of 10 weeks old. Oh, I thought that was going to be Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, their second child, who was born about a year later, was a boy who was diagnosed with RH incompatibility. And that has to do, basically, RH incompatibility, the mother and the baby's blood is incompatible. So it can cause, like, a lot of illnesses um, because of, like, the time in the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like the RH factor in the blood, like RH negative. Yes. So, like, My I mom think- is like that. And I know it was named, like, RH after the, it's, like, called the rhesus gene or whatever. And it's, like shares relation with like a rhesus monkey or something yeah it's like a genetic thing um but yeah it has it's the rh factor so it's like the mother i believe is negative and the child is positive and so then that makes their blood incompatible and that can cause complications and he had that uh their second child and he died at only two days old from uh and it's either it either was from complications as a result of the RH compa- incompatibility or from choking on his own mucus, but um, this doesn't seem to be like a neglectful or deliberate death. Um, three years later, the couple had another son uh, who was healthy despite also having RH incompatibility, but uh, and he did survive, but. Th- Clark forced Irene to always keep their son quiet. Um, and because of that, he had like really big uh, delays in developing physically and like developing language because like it's kind of hard to learn language if you can't ever talk. Yeah. Um, or to learn how to move when like you're not allowed to like run around or like, you know. So, yeah. Um, 
when when the son uh genie's brother reached the age of four uh irene's mother actually took him in and because she was really concerned about these developmental delays and took over his care for several months and he made a lot of progress but he was eventually returned to his parents um and we'll talk more about him so about five years after the birth of her older brother genie was born a medical appointment when Jeannie was three months old uh, showed that she was gaining weight normally, but she had a congenital hip dislocation, uh, and that required her to wear this like really restrictive splint uh, from four and a half to 11 months old, and that caused her delays in walking. And uh, researchers who later worked with Jeannie think that this might have uh, led her father to think that she was mentally disabled because she was delayed developmentally. And as a result, uh, he refused to really talk or pay attention to her. And he also strongly discouraged his wife and son from having interaction with her. This is so messed up. Yeah, sorry, this one's pretty dark. <laughs> um, yeah. This guy's just a fucking asshole. Yeah. God, that is sad. And so, like... Yeah, that's just sad. It's so Hold sad. Hold me, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so six months later, it, it gets a little worse. When Jeannie was 20 months old, her parental... Uh, it's a scary uh, word out there. God damn it. Okay, I'm starting over. When Jeannie was 20 months old, Clark's mother died. So... He had real big mommy issues and ended up, like, really obsessing over her. And, and now like, mommy is gone And now she's dead. Is he going to, like, spin out? Yes. Uh, she was killed in a hit-and-run traffic accident. Oh, no. So, uh... Sorry, Clark's mom. Clark, like, basically lost his shit at this point. He was already, yeah. like, a freaking dick, but he loses it. Um, and because his son had been walking with his mother when um she was hit and killed he like held his son responsible for the death so uh isn't his son like a kid kid yeah his his son is like still really his son is only like seven years old at this point six or seven yeah hate when my seven-year-old causes the death of my mom yeah when i wasn't even near her yeah um and so but because like i guess i guess like his grandma was taking him for a walk when she got hit and killed so clark held his son like weirdly responsible for the death uh, and began to abuse him as well and it also made him just super angry in general and then the truck uh the person who was driving the truck that hit his mother only got a probationary sentence for manslaughter and drunk driving so he didn't like get prison time oh. he just got put on probation and uh so that basically made genie's dad like completely delusional with rage yeah and uh scientists think that when this happened it made him feel like society had failed him and convinced that he would need to protect his family from the outside world and he was already like controlling so they think this really heightened that behavior um but he lacked the self-awareness to recognize how harmful this was uh so at this point he they're pretty sure that he believed that genie was like severely mentally disabled um and so he thought he needed to, like, protect her 
the most out of everybody, which is weird because it also seems like he resented her for that. Right. Um, he, he's got some real issues. And it's also like everyone, like, I just, everyone is deserving of love and everyone has inherent value. I want to make that clear that when I talk about how this dude feels, like it is not reflective of how I feel at all and I don't think it's justified or rational in the slightest. This is just they were reasoning probably for doing so. Yeah. Um so he quit his job, moved his family into his m- dead mother's house. uh, It was only a two-bedroom house, and then he demanded that his mother's car and bedroom be left completely untouched as shrines to her. And he, like, plunged the family into further isolation. He didn't want them, like, going out or seeing anybody. Healthy. Natural. This is so, like, horror movie, like, weird, like, Norman Bates vibes. Right? It's just... It is... This is, like, a real-life horror movie. (sighs) Yes! Um... And also, like, look, we all grieve differently, but I know. at some point, you you got to take, you can't do this, you know? You can do weird shit when you're you grieving. You can. And We've then, all done weird shit when we've been grieving. We've done weird you, things, just period. You can have a, a real tough time. You can't do this. No. <laughs> um, so he locked Jeannie. And again, she's only 20 months old when this happens. He locks her alone in a small bedroom. She's barely able to move because she's harnessed to a potty seat. You know, like one of those like kids potty chairs. And uh, the harness was like a meant to be like a straight jacket. It worked a lot like a straight jacket. And he had had his wife make it. So creepy. I know. It just gets worse and worse. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Oh my god! I've been holding that in. Um, I'll edit that out. Are you going sorry to, if it? You maybe never not. Out my burps. Yeah, I might keep it in because it's funny. We'll see. Sorry if it smells gross. Uh, when she was not in the potty seat, she was in a, a crib, but the crib was covered with like a wire mesh. <laughs> a wire mesh? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. He forced Jeannie to stay quiet, and when she wouldn't be quiet, he would beat her with his fists or a plank of wood. And she's not even two years old. Yeah. Um, Also, to keep her quiet, so this is so fucking weird, he would bare his teeth and bark and growl at her like a dog. And I read in one place that he grew out his nails to scratch her. What? I I have no explanation. Um, this is a horror movie. I actually plot. do kind of have an explanation, but I don't know. I don't know how much I believe this. Okay, he. Uh, if he thought like she was inside doing something he didn't like or wasn't allowed, she wasn't allowed to do, he would uh, bark and like growl outside the door. And then if she continued to like make noise or whatever, he would come inside and use his fists or the plank. Um, and this would instill an extremely intense and like lifelong, as far as we know, fear of cats and dogs and genie, which like, duh. Yeah. Um. So the thought 
a sci- one scientist thinks that the reason why he did this really fucking bizarre shit was that he saw himself as a guard dog and was like acting out that role because remember they think like oh he thinks society is so dangerous right. and they failed him so he's like it's like a weird protection thing but it's like you're the you're the you're society you're the danger right like you're not the protector like i guess but like that doesn't make it any less weird no and so uh because of this genie obviously learned like to not make sounds her language continued to like not progress and right. she also like didn't give like like make any like verbal expressions really uh it's also suspected because of some of genie's behavior later which I'm not really going to get into because I don't feel like it's necessary, but it is suspected that she was sexually abused as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the last we're going to talk about that. So if anyone else is like concerned about hearing more about that, we're not going to talk about it anymore. You can look it up full, well, easy by yourself. I also don't, there's really not, it seems like to protect her and stuff, like there's not that much information available. Not that I like, went kid, looking yeah. for that in specific, but I'm not going to, there's like slightly more, but I'm not going to go into anything. Because you know what you need to know. Um, the other thing was that he fed her as little as possible. Um, which, like, remember, like, our my little intro, she walked in and she was 13 years old and weighed 59 pounds. So This is so, like, every single wrong thing to do as a parent. Yeah, literally. And he refused to give her solid food. So he would feed her... Uh, <laughs> baby food the pablum which was a, a brand of like baby cereal and occasionally a soft boiled egg and liquids that was her diet uh her father or okay also like uh, as her brother gets older as everyone gets older the father starts like forcing the brother to participate more oh. in the abuse and her brother was also being abused at this yeah, time. Yeah, so he's also, like, physically. sadly messed up. Yeah. Um, and so, like, sometimes her she he would force her brother to feed her, and they would spoon food into her mouth as quickly as possible. And if she choked or, like, couldn't swallow fast enough, they rubbed her face in her food. Oh. I know. Awful. I know. We're almost done describing what happened to her. It's... Uh, it's horrible. Um, so during when she was being fed, that was basically like the only time that he would allow Irene, her, her mother to be around Jeannie. Um, although he like, wouldn't let her feed her. I forgot that she's even around still. Yeah. So she could, she like never saw Jeannie except during like feeding times, but he wouldn't let her feed her. He's so Irene would later report that he he did feed Jeannie three times a day, but also said that sometimes Jeannie would get beaten because she made noises when she was hungry. So researchers think like, oh, she probably wasn't getting fed three times a day. Right. Um, and again, she's severely malnourished. So um, and then Jeannie's mother also said that whenever possible at around 11 o'clock at night, she would like sneak in and try to give Jeannie additional food like after everyone else had gone to bed. And that caused Jeannie to develop this sleep pattern where she would sleep from like 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., wake up for a few minutes and then go back to sleep for like another like six hours. And this was a sleep pattern that continued for like several months after she left and like got some help too. So, um, and that is how... Jeannie passed all of the 1960s. 
just living like that for 10 years just so yeah it was yep it was actually it was a little over 10 years because it started when she was 20 months old and ended when she was 13 it's like torture but like she doesn't even know because she's like a baby yeah that's like her life so she doesn't know anything outside of that yeah oh that's she so doesn't sad know anything outside of like that room it's not like she's gonna remember memories from when she was like oh yeah talk about hold me i'm scared i know it it really is like a real life horror movie yeah okay so we're done describing that <laughs> um so uh let's go back to where we started with when Jeannie was like discovered so her mother was like a very like um soft like passive person and no excuse for not for letting this happen to your child by the way in my opinion and she was also almost completely blind like during the time that of genie's like abuse um and then her husband would uh physically abuse her and threaten to kill her if she uh attempted to talk to her parents her friends or the police so she was also like in isolation but just in the house instead of in a single room uh he also forced his son to be silent and told about what was going on and gave him like uh instructions on how to keep this the secret of like what was happening to genie i'm so confused by this silent thing yeah i no one really knows where it came from but can you imagine just like like even let's put all of the terrible shit aside for a second growing up in a house where like it had to be silent all the time right like imagine the quiet no, place no like music, movie but like your but also, family is abusive yeah no music no and like no because in the quiet place they would listen to stuff through headphones mm-hmm. no music no television no radio people aren't like chatting do you think you'd survive the quiet place I don't think I would survive any horror movie. Like, if I'm being realistic. But I'm also, like, low-key convinced I could win Survivor. So I don't really... I I don't think I have a gauge on my capabilities. Mm. Do you think I could survive a horror movie? No. Okay. I think you would... Depends on the horror movie. I think you would die trying to help someone else. I don't know. You don't know? I might not. I can be kind of selfish. Yeah, but you also have like a really strong moral I think compass. I could es- I think I could get really close to escaping like a murderer. But if it comes to like ghosts, I'm like more terrified of like spirits and whatever, so they might be more like easy to overcome me. Yeah. You're not scared of Murders, which are I'm less scared of the realistic things. Explain that one. Yeah, I like slasher murderer movies. Not as scary to me as like demon ghost movies. Yeah, I would agree. Paranormal Activity when that first came out and I watched it, it like kept me up. You know, they used one of those first like those are one of the first movies to use like deep bass frequencies to I unsettle read that. you. Yes. Also, when I watched Hereditary, I was convinced that Tony Collette was on my ceiling. 
girl. I thought I was going to look up and she not be in the Tony Collette on the ceiling. Not that Tony girl Collette. can contort her face. A phenomenal actress. Uh, yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, lover. Amazing. Knives Out, also a good performance. I have yet to see that Knives Out. It's good. I've heard. Okay, this is a movie podcast. <laughs> um, so back to the much less fun stuff to talk about. Back to being a downer. Um, <laughs> so, and then uh, as everyone grew, uh, the abuse towards his son got more and more severe. Um, the physical abuse. So, his, and his son would later like be interviewed and talked about how he just felt like he had no ability to help Jeannie, which is like he was a kid too. You have to have some grace for yeah, that because like yeah. he was abused from the time he was very little, just like Jeannie. And he was also like legitimately afraid for his life because he was really scared about what his dad would do if he told anyone. So, yeah, I can to... barely blame that kid at all. Like, no, I don't think you can. He grew up in that, too. Like, that's all he knows what to do. Yeah. And he's terrified. And like, also, like, it shouldn't be a kid's responsibility to get her out of there. Yeah. I, I don't think you can blame him. Uh, Okay. This is, like, really fucked up. So, Jeannie's dad, for some reason, was, like, sure that she would die by the age of 12. I think because he... I, I mean, the, like, mental... He thought she had, like, the mental yeah, disability. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And also, like, I mean, sir, you're playing an active role in that. Um, yeah. And he promised that if she lived past 12, he would let his wife go, like, find help for Jeannie. This guy's got some strange-ass so, rules. most evil motherfucker we have ever talked about. Um, he, but then when Jeannie did turn 12... He's, he was he went back on his word and it, t- it took her mother another year and a half to seek help and this brings us to that day in November in 1970 when Jeannie's mother had finally decided to flee from her husband and accidentally stumbled into that Los Angeles welfare office Jeannie's parents were both arrested with charges of abuse and Jeannie became a ward of the court and uh, due to the her condition um she was basically unsocialized and obviously in a lot of like physical danger um uh and her health was like very deteriorated the court issued an order for Jeannie to be taken to the children's hospital in los angeles this is like probably the first time she's met like another person like outside of her family yeah yeah aside from like when she went to the doctor when she was like three months old wild this poor girl. And maybe her grandmother. Maybe Clark's mom. But... I really thought something about, like, Jeannie, the feral child. Like, I thought she, like, grew up, like, in the woods, like, by herself. <laughs> well, there have been feral children that have done that. And Jeannie is... Her behavior... The reason why they call her a feral child Mimics is because... That. Yep. Because her behavior was actually a lot like... There was, like, one child that was uh, basically raised by wolves. And there was another one that was adopted by, like, a tribe of monkeys. And her behavior was very similar to their behavior that's just so wild to me to think about <sighs> mm. yes anyway so um upon Jeannie's admission to the children's hospital david riggler a therapist and a psychology professor at the university of southern california 
who was also the chief psychologist at the hospital, and a man named Howard Hansen, who was the head of the psychiatry division and an expert on childhood abuse. Uh, they were the ones that were in charge of Jeannie's care. The day after she arrived at the hospital, James Kent, who was a physician and another early advocate for child abuse awareness, um, was assigned to her case and conducted the first examinations of her. Uh, so on, hold on, I'm just on November 20th, which was the day of the, uh, the day of the court hearing for Jeannie's father or the day before the court hearing for Jeannie's father for the abuse charges, he died by suicide. I feel like those are the people who don't deserve that. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, I feel look, I, I don't know if this is like an okay thing to say. It feels unfair. Like you should have to, face the consequences for your actions yeah it feels like very which i don't even know how like true this holds anymore but like what i believe to know from like history is in like japanese samurai culture like suicide was like an an honor thing like Mm -hmm. it it seems like like something that like could never like he could never deserve to like yeah take his own life even if it is his his, like basically yeah because like of what he did or to like preserve his image by not having to face up to what he did yeah uh he left behind a note for his son that like said he loved him which is really weird because sir that's not love a weird definition of love and he left it behind another note that said the world will never understand you're right which like you're right you got me there buddy that's the one thing we agree on i will never understand that behavior like you you messed up people's lives you yeah you literally ruined lives and you tortured a baby child like what the for 10 years he was like a terrorist in his home so what what happened to Jeannie? we're gonna get into that so Um, Due to the abuse that her mother suffered at the hands of Clark and her near total blindness, which made her dependent on him, the charges against her were dropped. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about her mom at all. I'm just going to say that. No one deserves the abuse that she went through. Um, But, like, she was an adult, so... Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how... Mixed feelings. I don't know what I don't know what she could have done. Like, I don't know if she could have. I feel like if she were eventually able to flee, she could have done it sooner. Uh, but I don't want to minimize the impact of domestic yeah. violence on someone. Because you're, like, scared to And your risk leave. of dying is, like, exponentially higher when you leave an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that. So, like, I don't want to say – I don't want to minimize that. Uh, but also, it's, like, I. this is a case where, like, what Jeannie was suffering seems to be, like, just so abhorrent that I kind of – I'm like, come on. Yeah, like, I can't say, like, what, you know, I would do or what we would do in that situation, yeah. but I feel like I couldn't let my children go through that. Yeah, you would hope that no one would, but, like, I don't know. I yeah, just don't, I don't know, know how I feel about it, I I'm going to say. Um, okay, so Jeannie's case was, like, very fascinating to the scientists and physicians 
who worked with her, and they applied and were awarded a grant by the National Institute of Mental Health to study her. The team um, explored, uh, they, they did a study uh, that they called the Developmental Consequence of Extreme Social Isolation. They explored this for four years from 1971 to 1975. I hope that wasn't by like further isolating her. Um, so uh, in the 70s, this like time coincided with this uh, interest in science and linguistics. Like for some reason, a lot of researchers were like particularly interested in linguistics around this time and language development. And because Jeannie had barely acquired any language, she only had a few words, like not phrases, like just a few words. Um, I think she could say like blue, mother, like Mm. just like a few basic words. Um, She was considered like a blank slate uh, to people and a a blank slate for the study of language. Uh, So one of the like primary tasks of what, uh, is referred to as the genie team, which refers to the like linguists, scientists, and doctors that worked with her, um, was to establish like what came first. Was her uh, did her abuse cause the lapse in development, or was she already developmentally delayed, and then that caused her father, mm. which again not her fault at all, no, not deserving of it at all, um, but like that was her father's reason for inflicting the um, abuse. And so up until, and like that was something that they studied along with her, just like language development, up until the late 60s, uh, it was believed that children could not learn language after puberty. So they thought like, once you hit puberty, if you haven't learned language, you can't anymore. You can't acquire. Oh, like if you hadn't learned language at all? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Or like, like, (laughs) to the degree that she had. Yeah. Um, if like you only knew like a couple words, it was like that's what you've got for the rest of your life. But Jeannie proved everyone wrong because uh, she continued learning language. Oh, that's so good. Um, she was super curious and really interested in learning. She was really enthusiastic, and she was very like, she. It's uh, from what I read, it seems like she had a very affectionate relationship with the researchers and enjoyed learning. And they they said that she was highly communicative. It turned out that she actually could learn language and she continued learning more and more words. But she couldn't learn grammar and sentence structure. So uh, Susie Curtis, who was a linguist that worked really close with Jeannie, said, quote, she was smart. She could hold a set of pictures. So they told a story. She could create all sorts of complex structures from sticks. And she had other signs of intelligence. The lights were on. Jeannie, uh, however, showed that grammar becomes inexplicable to children without training between ages 5 and 10. However, communication and, like, language, like acquiring words, um, is still entirely possible. So it's weird how the brain works. Like, it is so weird. And it's strange for me to think of, like, how you can hold on to words but not put them into sentence structure. Yeah, I guess, like, your ability... To seek, it has to do with like the development of uh, the Broca's area of the brain, which is the part of your brain that's responsible for language ac- yeah. acquisition. And um, yeah, you you have to learn like how to like sequence words. Now, of course, if you already learn one language, you can learn another language and like of learn course. how to use grammar yeah. and structure, sentence structure. But if you have never learned how to put sentences together or like how to sequence words, uh, 
Like, if you had no training in that between ages 5 and 10, you'll just never. Yeah, because I think I'm pretty sure from, like, what I know of, like, my understanding of, like, my kids' language and their development, like, if, like, your brain when you're young has, like, very open connections, like, ready just to make all kinds of new connections and just, like, form all these things. And if some of those things are not used, your brain is just like, oh, we don't need it. So, like, it just won't ever use it again. Yeah. It just, it can't form because it just, like, shuts it off almost. Yeah. So, I just think that's crazy. You have, like, a limited window of time. Um, If you have a child. Teach them how to. Teach them how to talk. But, like, also, give your kid the blessing of, like, having, (laughs) like, two languages at least. Like, and at least, like, the second largest language in the world, Spanish. Like, if your first one's English, go Spanish. Or sign language. Or sign language. Like, really, it is so beneficial to a person to know two languages. For sure. Um, So, uh, back to Jeannie. She was considered to be an expert in nonverbal communication, and she had this, like, almost magical way of expressing her thoughts to people without even needing to speak them. Um, one scientist who worked with her was talking about, and it, she, he, she actually ended up living with this scientist for a period of time and they were out one day and he told, he said that, um, a father and his young son were walking by and the son was carrying a fire engine and they just walked by and then, uh, all of a sudden they turned around and came back and the boy without a word just handed the fire engine to Jeannie. And, like, she hadn't said anything to him. Almost like she, like, telepathically communicated it. (laughs) Yes. And he said, quote, she never asked for it. She never said a word. She did this kind of thing somehow to people, end quote. A lot of the scientists were very, like, affectionate towards Jeannie. That's so good. Yeah. A lot lot of, like, uh, they just, they were, like, enchanted by her. That word comes up a lot. During the course of the studies, uh, Jeannie actually lived with two separate families of members of their research team who studied her. Um, the first family, or the first uh, scientist that, or researcher that she lived with, um, actually like tried to isolate her from the other researchers, and people thought she was trying. The researcher was trying to become like the next, uh, like woman who taught Helen Keller. Mm-hmm. sign language they thought like she was they questioned the re- rest of the research team really questioned her motives um the second team was um or the second family that she lived with was dr uh Riggler's family who was the one that told the story about the fire engine and she actually really like thrived in that environment uh but the scientists who question uh who took her in both of them were really questioned on like their motives and ethics because it i mean it is it is like a a weird space um yeah. and, and really like, you don't want to like treat her like your experiment like she's a person who needs like a family and yeah like, but then also you're studying her yeah, if you're and, a scientist like, and you're studying her then it's like you're it's like she's your pet almost like it, yeah but she did it seems like generally she really liked the researchers and that she did continue to progress um while living with with one of them and Really, the whole group of the genie team would go on to be questioned on the ethics of the studies that they did with her, which, like, as a scientific study in the 70s, probably had some unethical shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, just the ethics of, like, 
studying this child. It that's all it's all like a very weird area that we have never really been in in this country uh before cuz the other feral children were in other countries, the ones that they compare her to. Mm. Um and like a long time before Jeannie, so it was a really weird new territory um scientifically. Uh once the funding ended for the study in 1975, Jeannie went to live with her mother for a brief period of time. And in 1979, Irene actually filed a lawsuit against the hospital and her daughter's caregivers, um, including the scientists on the Jeannie team, alleging that they exploited Jeannie for prestige and profit. The suit was settled in 1984, and Jeannie's contact with her researchers was basically entirely severed. Oh, so they ruled in favor of the mom. It was a settlement, but the mom now had, like, custody of her, and she... And you're like, this lady is not fit to be a caregiver anymore. Yeah, and clearly she wasn't, because uh, Jeannie would end up going to, like, a few different foster families. Jeannie's mother uh, died in 2003, and her brother died in 2011. Um, Russ Reimer, who was a journalist, was uh, tried to piece together what led to the end of the genie team because, like, all of the scientists like went their separate ways. Like, they didn't because they had collected a lot of data, so like it's possible that they could have like done research just with what they had learned. Like, continued, but they all just like dissolved the the whole. And um, he said that uh, when he tried to like research like what happened it was really challenging because all the scientists had divided on who was like exploitative of Jeannie and who had her best interests in mind. So everyone had really different opinions on everyone else. Um, so maybe it was best this team dissolved. Maybe, but unfortunately, but it I think seem... there were people who like really cared yeah. about her too. And unfortunately it doesn't seem like things went well for Jeannie after she, the study ended. Uh, like I said, she moved in with her mother for a period of time. Then she was bounced around to foster homes where she faced further, abuse unfortunately she regressed pretty severely and that journalist who was researching her 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 case and her story um he described visiting her on her 27th birthday and he described her as quote a large bumbling woman with a facial expression of cow-like incomprehension her eyes focused poorly on the cake her dark hair has been hacked off raggedly at the top of her forehead giving her the aspect of an asylum inmate end quote Poor Jeannie. I know. She deserves so much better. So much better. From everyone. It's like it's like one of those horrific cases where like everyone failed this person. Um Susie Curtis, who was a researcher on Jeannie's team, never forgot about Jeannie and attempted to reach out to her and her family for years. In a two thousand eight interview, she said that um despite like writing letters, phone calls, um, she said, quote, she had spent the last 20 years looking for her i can get as far as the social worker in charge of her case but i can't get any farther so like those uh her contact like remained severed with the research team as of 2008 which is the last information that we really have available about Jeannie, she was living in an assisted living facility in los angeles and beyond that unfortunately not much else is known about her um however despite the questionable ethics of the studies that revolved around her she did have this like generally really affectionate relationship with her researchers and the people that have worked with her despite their differing opinions on each other's motives have never forgotten about her 
And the research that was done on Jeannie was really, really valuable. Um, she, in her own way, made massive contributions to science and child development and the world. And she she will never be forgotten. But she deserved better. So she's like possibly still alive? People believe that she is, yeah. As of 2019, which was like the most recent article that I researched, it was believed that she's still alive. Wow. I didn't know this was so recent. Yeah. She's as old as both of her parents. Yeah. Isn't that true? I think she's... Well, I'm not doing math, but yeah. Both of my parents were born in 1960. Yeah. And so was she, right? She was born in 57. Oh, okay. So, around <sighs> the same age as our parents. So sad. I'm sorry. It's so no, that sad. That is so sad. But I, I just think it's like... I think it's an important story to tell. I mean, and honestly, like, our podcast, we talk about very scary and, like, real dark things. So, this... Yeah. And very on brand for us. And the reason why I thought of this was because I actually remember when I first heard about this, I was a teenager and I, I saw there's a documentary on Jeannie and I saw it and I just remember it stayed with me forever. Like, I, I, I think it's important that like, I don't know. I just think it's important. I think it's important that we remember like how precious our like children are and how like how important it is to advocate for them and how carefully they should be treated. Yeah. And also like to look, like look out for the children in your life, listen to them, believe them if they tell you something's going on, because unfortunately there are real monsters in the world who will hurt like innocent little babies. Right. And like Jeannie should have never gone through what she went through, but it does serve as like this is what happens when you don't treat your children like the right way, like the precious, like you mess them up, human beings that they are, yeah, and, and which that, has like lifelong effects. It's a reminder to deal with your own shit before you get married or have children. Uh, before you bring anyone else into your real. life, go to therapy. <laughs> and if you don't want to have kids, don't, don't. You don't have to. No mm -hmm. one's making you. Yeah, there are seven point whatever billion people on this earth. We are overpopulated. We're fine. Yeah, don't have children if you don't want children because no one deserves to grow up feeling resented. So, yes, I'm sorry. It's very dark, but it is. I, I think I, the idea that this um this like person who who went through so much could still be so valuable to the world. Yeah. Like, it's also, like, a good reminder that everyone, every life has, like, intrinsic worth. Very, very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heavy on the bitter. And if Jeannie's still out there, I just hope that she has some peace and happiness and comfort. I do, too. So. Well. Okay, now it's your turn. I'm ready for a change of pace. Yes, I think we um, need it. I mean, mine... <laughs> towards the very end does not have quite a happy ending um but let's just kind of like change it up a little bit so we went with like abandonment over here we're going with like being lost or losing things so which is a very prevalent theme in my life um but let me think would you rather hang on oh my I, God. I was very into this story so i wasn't listening um or, or no, sorry. 
I was listening, so, so that's why I thinking. wasn't thinking of it. Would you rather? Okay, hang on. Would you rather be lost? It doesn't matter where. In the, but somewhere, like, isolated, right? Okay. Um, and you're lost. You're never found. So, like, would you rather people just be at peace knowing that, like, you went on a trip, but, like, you never came back? Like, that's all they know? Um, I don't think that... Would you be at peace if I just... If you knew I went on a trip and never came back? Is that no, what you want? No, but, like... <laughs> you know, I have to do this again. Charles. I have a lot of gas right now. Okay, so would you rather that... Yeah. But you die like very peacefully and easy okay or would you rather die not as peacefully and easy but people know exactly what happened to you and you were able to get out like one last message to your loved ones i have nothing to say to you (laughs) (laughs) um is it like is okay? So is the alternative, the one where I die not peacefully, is it a quick but like a painful death, or is it like a slow painful? I'm gonna death? say moderate pace, mm-hmm. painful. So it's basically like, would I be willing? Do you want other to people painfully to get closure? Die? Yeah, for the sake of your closure, or do you want like a peaceful death and no closure with anybody else? Nobody knows what happened to you. <sighs> I guess I would take the painful death. I'm not happy about it, though. I wouldn't be happy about it either. And I'm gonna, I'm I think like I might off. give that one, too. Because, oh, sorry. I'm making noise. But very tempting to just die very peacefully. Yeah, because it's like... Like, I'll be in pain for, like, a little bit... A, a, a medium amount of time, but then... Then I I don't care. It's not like I remember <laughs> it. Right. Um, whereas, like, I could ruin people's lives by, like, just disappearing and not giving them any closure. Like, I think that... I think you would, like, go on, but I think it would, like, fuck you up probably, like, forever. Yeah. There would be a part of you that... And I don't know. There's always, like, part of it being, like, is it better just, like, have it unopened? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? No, because I, I don't want people wasting their time looking for me if I'm not mm. out there. Well, so <laughs> we we're gonna get into a story that does involve these exact themes. Okay, uh, and before we do that, I want to say that it's I don't I'm not saying that search parties are a waste of time if the person is found deceased or like never found. Do what you need to do, yeah, to like take care, like to find your loved one and like heal yourself. I'm just saying, if I know what's gonna happen and I have the option, right? I don't want people wandering, wandering aimlessly, like yep. knowing that they wouldn't find you. So I clarify that before I get canceled. Yeah, it's fine. We're, we're very respectful over here. We really are. We're two great people. <laughs> <laughs> please, please tweet about that. Um, so I lose things all the time. Yeah. Right. And so when I was searching for some of these stories, I couldn't help but recount some of my own. And sometimes it was like due to my own negligence, but other times I had like very little control over the situation. Um, so I figured I would tell you some of them um, and then one that is not my own story. So I have one from my childhood, one from that long ago, one from not that long ago, and then a story from somebody else. Okay, cool. So 
One of the most recent, which you do know about, was the keys to this current apartment. Now, I was very excited to finally move out of my parents' house during the pandemic, bigger city. Um, you know, it's it was a relatively, like, warm-ish December day, very temperate <laughs> environment that day. Um, it was... Yeah, I was just very excited. And it took me about like three days to get completely unpacked. And around like the week mark, so seven days, I was glad to be on my own. And that day I woke up and I looked out the window. And to my surprise, I saw that the earth was covered with a pretty thick layer of snow. And I was working at my other server job. And I was hoping that they would like send out a text that like we're closed or whatever. And they were like, no, still come to work. So. Okay. Begrudgingly, I went to work, and it was the morning shift. Hardly anybody came, and I even, like, witnessed a co-worker be, like, fired that day, but she had it coming, so, like, don't feel bad. <laughs> um, also, she's listening to this podcast. Whoops. Yeah. Um, you know what you did. So, you had a bad attitude. I'm just going to say it outright. So oh, calling people out on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um... It came to, like, where I got to go home, like, earlier than expected because there was nobody there. And so I figured since I was in the same parking lot as a Whole Foods that I would just go there and get a little bit of groceries and come back to my apartment. No muss, no fuss. Yay. But so, there was muss and fuss. There, <laughs> boy, was there. So... I went to Whole Foods. It was a little scary driving across the parking lot. Um, and I... Bailey's lifting a 20-pound weight. I'm attempting to. I'm not doing a great job of it. I'm going to put it down. Okay. Pause. Can we talk about weights for a second? Weights? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I um, had a date recently, and I went home with them, and it was my first time at their home and i <laughs> and like i walk in and the uh a cicada followed us in i love cicadas and it like immediately like flew to the corner of the room bashed into the wall and fell down and the person i was with was like very afraid of bugs so i was like i'm gonna, I'm gonna score some points i'm gonna be super cool and i'm gonna find the cicada and like save the day and i'm gonna be like right very sexy about a hero it. yeah um so I like, so I went over and and the the corner had like two like ottomans in it, and one of them had a suitcase on top of it, because uh, the person I was seeing hadn't had like moved in fairly recently, and I was trying to like move it, and she was like, "Oh, that suitcase is full of weights," and I was like, "Oh, that's why it's difficult." I was like, "Okay, well then I was like, now I, I'm also have the opportunity to appear very strong. Don't look at me like that." don't look at me like that um so i continued searching for the bug and i was like i'm gonna lift up this suitcase and i'm gonna also look like really strong and hot in this moment um and i successfully lifted it but i didn't realize that it was open so also it is 3 a.m when this is happening (laughs) and i lift up the suitcase and (laughs) these weights just clatter onto the floor oh my god (laughs) And Scarlet took a tumble. There were like ten of them, and it was just they—they're like those um, 
I don't like the hexagonal like flat weights that you uh-huh. can add to the end of yeah. a dumbbell or a, a bar. And so like 10 of them just like fall out of the suitcase. It's like clang, 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 like just 10 times. And I'm like, I just froze. And I, I looked at her and I was like, you didn't tell me it was open. And she was like, I didn't know it was open. And I thought and she had a roommate. So I was like, your roommate's going to be so mad. Oh, no. And, yeah. So uh, luckily her roommate wasn't there. But that was the story of me looking very cool and sexy and strong on our and first date. Dumping like weighted plates onto the floor at so, 3 a.m. So mortifyingly loud. And like, I couldn't stop, so it's like, because I couldn't stop them, because I couldn't, like, write the suitcase as these weights are tumbling out of it, so it just kept going, like, almost a comically long amount of time. Was it just, like, as they the kept... definition of, like, cacophony? Yes, and they kept just, like, kept sliding out of the case, because I couldn't, like, write the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Love that for you. Love that for me, um, and I didn't even fucking find the bug. Of course you didn't. Course you probably didn't. crushed it with the weighted plates. Um... So where were we? Right. Okay. So you're at the Whole Foods. Right. I got the stuff that I needed to get. Overpriced food, obviously. Um, And I went to go drive home. And I did. And I got all the way up to my apartment door, stuck the key in, and then it wouldn't turn. And I was like, what? Well, I had a key to my sister's house that looked very, very similar to my key. And I was like, oh wrong key so i pulled out one to go put my key in and i realized my apartment key wasn't there and i was like well where is it so i look on the key ring and um you know i started to like panic because there was not my key there and i looked to see that the ring clasp that held the apartment key had been bent open so I'm like frantically searching my pockets. It's like 30 degrees outside. I have groceries. It's snowing. It's windy. Um, so obviously, I think it can only be a couple places. It can only be at work, Whole Foods, and like the walk to those places in the car. Yeah. So I call work. Haven't seen them. Call Whole Foods. Nobody turned keys in. And I'm like, they could be anywhere, you know, in this large amount of space um so i'm driving back um to go search the snow-covered parking lots and then my mom calls and i answer and she's like hi honey how's your first week in your new apartment and i was like well i'm so independent yeah i'm doing so good mom um no i was like not so great and i told her about the whole thing she's very concerned and ready to help offer advice and I told her, I just couldn't shake the feeling that they were somewhere in the parking lot. And she's like, but I just think you might be more like worth it to call, see if there's anyone at the office. But it's a Saturday. And I'm like, I don't know if anyone's there, like what to do. And at this point, like, I'm kind of competitive. Like that kind of competitive spirit takes hold. And I'm like, I'm going to like search first and find these keys before I like ask anyone else to help me. So I drive up to my workplace Start looking around. Don't see anything. I'm still on the phone with my mom. And I pull over to Whole Foods. Snow is already covering back up the spots in the lot. And I think I remember where I park. And my mom echoes, like, the same sentiments. Like, sweetie, I really think you should just call the office. And I'm like, mom, I really feel like my intuition is just, like, telling me my keys are here. And I just think it's, like, worth it to look first. And I get out and immediately my eyes are, like, darting everywhere. And she goes to say again, like, maybe you should just. And then I see, like, a glimmer of gold. 
And I was like, <gasps> so I was like, mom, I see him. And I shut my hand to the snow and pull up my keys. So I start like laughing slightly, just like Maniacally. crazily. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had found them and yeah. So they, it turns out that they had like caught on something and they like, I think they like, I remembered the feeling of like them catching on something and then just like slipping off, but I didn't hear them because they fell into the snow. So like, I didn't hear them hit the parking lot. Needless to say, wasn't too long after that that I went home, changed into sweatpants, and binged a show. Right? Perfect ending to a perfect day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think I even bought a vacuum that day. So, like, as the snow melted, I went to a Target nearby. So, this isn't scary to me now. This is the second story. But it still does sting a little. Um, I was younger, around seven. And I loved having stuffed animals, and I had so many that at one point I slept with what I remember to be like 15 of them, maybe. Dude, like, I did the same thing when I was little. I had so It's very comforting many. to have like all these different like animals that have all these different memories and like personas to you. Yeah, like, just for sure. around you. Did you ever worry that they would turn evil? Can't say that I had that one. Yeah, me either. I was very normal as a kid. Yeah. Glad that you brought that up, something that you've never yeah, thought I, of. No, yeah, never, never occurred to me until right now. <laughs> so, okay, continue. Like, most of them were gifts, and I loved each and every one of them. Some of them were, like, really small. But, like, you ever look at those, like, your stuffed animals, and they become, like, almost real to you? You, like, personify them. Oh, yeah. And, well, you might even think they're evil. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I had this one little, like, set of stuffed dogs. Now, from what I researched, it looks like... They might have been what was like these late '90s, early 2000s production of Pound Puppies. Pound Puppies, I remember yeah. Pound Puppies. It was like this collection that started in the '80s, and mine was like a big mommy dog and like four or five little tiny like puppies, like probably like the size of like the palm of your hand, like about five inches long. And I remember we were going to like a movie, and it was like sometime in the summer, and I always liked the feeling of bringing like a little stuffed animal with me to places, um, because it was just like they could like see the world like Aww. my stuffed animal could see the world like i don't know it was just comforting to me to have them with me so on a certain day i brought one of the little puppies with me and it fit in my pocket and i was excited for it to come see the movie with me and after the movie was over we got back in the car and i think you know where this is going um it your wasn't dad until... never got in the car huh i said your dad never got in the car <laughs> you lost your dad again <laughs> That's how my mom became a single mom. No, um, I we were a bit of ways away, and then I noticed that I didn't have the puppy at all. It wasn't in my pocket anywhere. And I don't know why I didn't say anything to my parents. I don't know if I thought they'd be upset that I lost it or, like, I knew they wouldn't turn back or maybe I figured it was just too hard to find. But what's, like, sad and scary about this is what I figured, like, the puppy was feeling. <laughs> I was thinking, like, the puppy must be feeling so lost and scared Aww. and abandoned. And I hoped somebody else would find it and keep it. But it was, like, terrible for me to think of it, like, being, like, swept up with all the popcorn and just, like, <laughs> thrown in the trash. And then you had to tell its mom that you left it at the movie theater. Right. What felt even worse was looking at the dog mom and the siblings and feeling <laughs> like they were just so sad and, like, lost under their family. And it was, like, my fault. And I would hug them so tight and tell them that I was sorry. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> so those are, like, two stories about, like, me losing something. But now I have something that might rattle your bones okay so this comes from 
inspired.com, why humans totally freak out when they get lost. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the Appalachian Trail, but... I think it's Appalachian. It is that too, Appalachian. Um, This is one of the longer trails in the U.S. It's 2,185 miles long. It crosses 14 states. It's not the largest. We have bigger trails and longer trails than this. So there's a lot to be seen on this trail. One of my favorite being this stretch where there are just groups of wild ponies. Well, that's like your dream as a horse girl. (laughs) That's my dream as a horse girl. (laughs) I was not a horse girl, by the way. Um, In 2013. Wait, did you ever try to gallop like a horse? That fits with my fantasy of your childhood. like a horse? Yeah. I mean, I just galloped for fun. But not like a horse. I mean, I think they're the only animals that like do it. So I think no, when you gallop, you got you're like gazelles. What did you imagine you were? Just me galloping or like riding a horse. Yeah, that's horse girl behavior. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, you were a horse girl. <laughs> Watching spirit religiously. That just fits with my fantasy. Okay, you can imagine that. Thanks. Imagine me as the little horse girl. Yes. Um. So in 2013, a lady named Geraldine Largay, or Largay, um, nicknamed Jerry, decided she was going to walk the trail. And she brought her friend Jane with her. And they were excited, especially because they were hiking, quote unquote, flip-flop style. Um, Now, thankfully, this has nothing to do with the flip-flop shoe. Um, that would be stupid. Apparently, this is a way that you can travel with a longer time frame and like conserve the trail by reducing overcrowding. Basically, from what I understand, is it's like designed certain trails where you like go north on a trail and then like skip over to another trail and go south, like back the other way. Oh, so like extends the amount of time that you're... Yes. Okay. Okay, impossible for me to imagine someone wanting to extend their exercise, but go off, I guess. Um, Then this can take like months to do. So Jerry's husband was following them somewhat in a car, like, you know, a ways away or near the trail. Yeah. um, And meeting them at locations to replenish supplies. And sometimes he would pick them up and go to a motel nearby and they were having a grand time until uh, her friend Jane had to go home for a family emergency. So Jerry decided... Or the emergency was Jane just didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) She's like, I don't want to do it anymore. That would be me. I'd be like... I have a family emergency. I gotta leave Appalachia. I don't want to do this anymore. I got to go. So sad. Hi, Jerry. Oh, no. I don't want to go. What's the emergency? Um, It's personal. It's private. It's my family. I'm your best friend, but like... But it's sometimes you don't... We have boundaries. (laughs) Just like actively like still walking away being like, I don't want to go. Oh, no. no. The Uber drives up the trail and drives you. (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) leave. Oh, so sad. Okay, well, enjoy it. So... Yeah, she goes home, and Jerry decided that she would just continue the trail alone. And Jerry was a slow-paced hiker, and from what we know, lacked in sense of direction. Ah, same Jerry. Um, That resonates. So much so that she took on the nickname Inchworm. (laughs) So, but what Jerry lacked in pace... She made up foreign supplies. 
and planning. And even more, Jerry had a wonderful personality, quote-unquote, full of confidence and joy, a real delight to talk to. This is how Dorothy Russ described her. And Dorothy and her hiking partner met Jerry on one of the trails, and they spent some time together at a shelter on the night and evening of, like, July 21st. Jerry left Dorothy on July 22nd in the early morning. And she sent a text to her husband, George, and the text told him that she was on her way and they were going to meet at a place 21 miles away. Okay. So George waited for her there and she was expected to like turn up that evening, but no Jerry. Oh. He waited for her a whole um, like other day. No Jerry. And he knew something, obviously, <laughs> had to be wrong. Um, so he told Warden Services, and they began their lost person procedures. Do you know what would happen if, that, if it was you and I? Like, if you were the Jerry and I was the husband in this situation? <laughs> you would be, like, 10 minutes late. I would call your phone, and, and you wouldn't answer. And then I would call... Assume that I was dead. I would be like, he is dead. I would call every agency I could think of and your family to let them know the news. Then I would get on the trail myself looking for your corpse. Yeah, not even like, oh, he's lost out there somewhere. I like, would assume better go were find dead. him. He's like, well, she's obviously dead. Yeah. Even though I could be very well be alive. No. Or I... had just been like <laughs> fifteen minutes instead of ten minutes late. But if you didn't answer your phone, there was one time where you didn't answer your phone. Yes, listen, I will tell the story. There was a time that I didn't answer my phone because I was asleep and my phone had died. I have two best friends who both are trying to contact me. They can't. They both end up contacting each other. And they're like, well, like, we would have heard something if he died, right? Like, he's probably not dead, right? Like, his sisters would have, like, told us or, like, posted something or I don't know, right? And one of these best friends is, like, blood relations. So, like, Bailey's thinking, well, she would have definitely heard something. Yeah. And Courtney's like, well, yeah, you know, I, I definitely would have, right? And then they're both asking each other, like, right? Two friends with very high anxiety. Turns out I was just sleeping and my phone had died. We, Charles, I what you don't know is that I was literally in my bed sobbing. I prayed for the first time in years that you weren't dead. And then I started planning what I would say at your funeral. And then I woke up that next morning. And texted me. And said, yeah. I cried myself to sleep that night because your cousin and I had collectively convinced each other that you were dead. And maybe that was what was happening here with George. Yeah. His name is with Jerry. Um, but he probably wasn't as off the wall insane as me. <laughs> probably not. So, like I said... They already begun their lost person procedures. Mm -hmm. They searched for her for days, then weeks, and then for the next 26 months. Oh, my God. That is two. That is a year and two years and two months. So this is when, unfortunately, they found her, mm. but she was dead. They found what was left of her campsite, and Jerry had smartly wrapped her journal and phone in waterproof bags. She knew what was going on. So, the phone records that they had found, the last text that she sent 
were undelivered because of bad cell service. And here's what they say. Oh, God. I'm going to... I'm getting chills before you even say it. Um, And it's very, like... Some of it is, like, very, like, shorthand words. In some trouble. Got off trail to go to BR. Now lost. Can you call AMC, which is the Appalachian Mountain Club, to see if a trail maintainer can help me? Somewhere north of Woods Road, XOX. Mm. And... Lost since yesterday. Off trail three or four miles. Call police for what to do. Please. XOX. From her journal, we know that she had heard helicopters, lit a signal fire, even put oh a reflective God. emergency blanket up on a tree. But all of this never saw to it. no avail. That's so scary. Flash forward to August 6th. Jerry had used her phone for the last time. Four more days pass and she writes down what she can. And then this is the last and one of the saddest things I've read. Hmm. This is a note that she wrote. When you find my body, please call my husband, George, and my daughter, Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me. No matter how many years from now, please find it in your heart to mail the contents of this bag to one of them. Very sad. sad. (laughs) But also, like, very, like, smart of her to... Yeah. Like, do that, you know, and, like, very gracious of her to do that. So, Jerry had managed to stay alive for close to 19 days, all alone, lost in the woods. But what's sickening is the fact that she was unaware of a dog team that came within 100 yards of her. Oh, my God. And just as bad, she was half a mile from the closest trail. Plus... Had she gone downhill from her camp, she would have found a railroad that either way would have led her out of the woods that she had been lost in for days. How did she get lost? On the Appalachian Trail, there are what they call blazes. Blazes are white rectangular markers painted on trees, posts, or rocks every 20 or 30 meters. And the trails are well beaten in, and they are filled with at least a dozen people each day even on the lesser taken paths so it's hard to get too lost so you're thinking like what mistake did she make doesn't seem like people get lost it did say in maine which is like part of this trail like 20 people tend to go missing oh a year shit i think it said at the time of this article um so unfortunately jerry got off her trail and made one fatal mistake She tracked about 80 paces into the forest, off the trail, and the mistake was, in the thicket of the woods, in these woods specifically, there are, like, no discernible landmarks. Oh, no. And no markers. And it all just starts to look the same, no matter which way you go. That is so scary. Right. She had wandered into an area that was used for the U.S. Navy's survival training. And the reason that they chose this area to train in is because it's hard to find your way out do you know that my dad he was a survival instructor for the army and he almost died during survival training he got hypothermia and he said he got to the point when you get like really hypothermic you get to a point where you don't feel cold anymore and you actually get the sense of like euphoria and then you die like not long after that and that's where he got to that's scary yeah so, like, I mean, he had, like, had training. So, right. like, those, like, spaces where, like, the armed forces do survival training, they are, like, no 
joke. Right. And like this lady didn't. Right. Yeah, she had no. But she'd been alive for 19 days. That's pretty incredible. Right. Um, now, Jerry was on medication for her anxiety, but apparently did not have it with her. Hmm. Um, though this is not the fault that got her lost. It didn't help. Right. Jerry already struggled with a sense of direction, so she might have been panicking as anyone would initially um, when you're lost. Um, Joseph Ledoo, Ledoo, um, a neuroscientist, describes being lost as mostly an emotional state. When panicking, you forget landmarks easier, you run aimlessly, you lose track of time. In 1873, a science journal called Nature said that West Virginian mountains can give you delusions that suddenly you are traveling in the wrong way. It can cause you to panic, um, giving truth to the saying, can't see the forest for the trees. So if none of you know what that means, that means just you overlook the big picture because you're focused on the tiny details. So you can't see your way out because you're focusing on like maybe... (laughs) You know, did I see that tree before? Like, what was that sound? Yeah. Like, am I going to die? Or instead just of all being of the like, details start looking really similar and you can't focus right. on instead the Instead of just, yeah. like, stopping and being, like, thinking, like, I don't know, what direction am I facing? Yeah, or what did Maybe I see Maybe, like, before? start walking backwards. Yeah. Maybe just keep walking in one direction. Before I give, like, my final piece to this, from the U.S. Forest Service, um, which is from fs.usda.gov, they offer this advice. Before hiking, make sure you have more than enough food and water. Make sure you have updated maps, a compass, not just a GPS, a compass, fire source, layered appropriate clothing, and an overnight emergency item. The moment you realize you are lost, use the STOP method, which is S-T-O-P first. S, stop. As soon as you realize you may be lost, stop, stay calm, stay put. Panic is your greatest enemy. Think. Go over in your mind how you got where you are. What landmarks should you be able to see? Do not move at all until you have a specific reason to take a step. O. Observe. Get out your compass and determine the directions based on where you are standing. Do not walk aimlessly. If you are on a trail, stay on it. All trails are marked with signs where intersections meet. With a diamond blazer or marker, however... Some signs are sometimes vandalized or stolen. As a very last resort, follow a drainage or stream downhill. This is often a difficult path, but could lead to a trail or road. Again, this could be very dangerous. And P. Plan. Based on your thinking and observations, come up with some possible plans, think them through, then act on one of them. If you are not very, very confident in the route, it's always better to stay put. If it's nightfall and you're injured or... You are near exhaustion. Stay in place. The site also offers other um, advice, such as self-rescue tips. So if you are into hiking or you just would like to read about it to feel prepared or safe, I would definitely check it out. So though Jerry has passed, I want to applaud her on surviving for as long as she did. Yeah, Because that is incredible. She was smart. She preserved her journal and phone, knowing someday that somebody would eventually find her. And Jerry, from what we know of you, you are a warm light in people's lives. And thank you for spreading your kindness during your time here. And that 
is my stories on getting lost. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, also just like that's so, so loving of her just to. To care enough to like make that final step. Yeah. And then to like take care to preserve the journal by like. It just sucks to know that she was so close to places. She was so close. Like, so, in like out. so many ways. Like helicopters flew over. The dog team was near her. And then she could have just. She was close to a trail. She was close to a railroad. But, like, but they surmise of like how slow she was, like with pacing and like, said, oh, excuse me again. Oh my god. Um, like how slow she was, like with her pacing and like the fact that she may have been just panicking, like she just couldn't think. Yeah, I mean, clearly. It, but like she could think clearly enough to survive for 19 days. So, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I think though, like, survival sometimes our instincts can take over to like keep us alive and not not to detract from the fact that that's amazing and that like clearly she is like a smart person uh for being able to do that but like i think it's a different part of your brain keeping you alive than the part of your brain that like strategizes you know what i mean and like makes plans um yeah because when you are panicked it's yeah i mean (laughs) at least from what i know i mean i've had panic attacks but mostly i have best friends who deal with a lot of anxiety yeah (laughs) um hi hi um anxiety really does take away like logic you will just panic over things that do not make sense it doesn't have to make sense like why you're panicking over it so i would advise if you're ever lost just try your best and also like no more hiking (laughs) (laughs) i don't listen i'm not sure about these like long i a walk i'm fine with a walk in nature Right. I don't want to go on like a hike like that. Yeah, like a hike, hike, or like free climbing. Okay, that freaks That's me out. That's something else. It comes across my TikTok all the time. Same people waking up on like the side of a seemingly like endless, unscalable <laughs> mountain. Yeah, terrifying. Maybe. Like, get into it, but like, I'm not going to. Like, in the end, nature is the boss, and we're just living in it. And I'm not. I don't know. That it likes me. Her- <laughs> I think it likes me. And I don't I don't trust my ability to find anything anywhere. And so if like if I was on a hike with someone and they like also that was very brave of her to continue walking. Because if I was with someone and they left, I'd be like, nope. Nope. I yeah. there's no well, way I can do it. Time this. for me to go home. I'll continue it next year. Yeah, I mean it, it does show that she was a very like brave and ambitious person. And that's pretty, like, she, just from what we know about her, she had a lot of really cool traits. She did. Yeah. And I hope her family was able to find some. Like, semblance of. Of, like, comfort closure. and closure. Yeah. At least, like, I, I do think it probably is better to know. And, like, just, again, amazing that she had the foresight even amongst, I'm like, I'm sure she was panicking until like the end and so for her to have that moment of clarity shows how much she really loved her family and cared about them right and here's something that i would want to know um we have an email <laughs> called hmispod at gmail.com where listen it is an open avenue for you guys to send an email about your scary stories hey dehydrated fruit girl we know you listen to this podcast <laughs> at least 
twice per episode, send an email. Yeah, we'll we love to it. hear a scary story. Yeah. Something send anything. Yeah. Like send your stories just to hello. Um, we'd love to be able to read just like our listeners' scary stories, no matter what it is. Um yeah, that is always an open avenue. We are also on social media, Facebook, which is Hold Me I'm Scared, mm-hmm. and then Instagram and Twitter, which is HMIS Pod, just like the email. Yeah. So And we always want to hear from you. So feel free to reach out to us in any of those avenues. Um, We want to hear your spooky stories, your thoughts. Another great way to share your thoughts on the podcast is leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and helps people find the podcast. So if you like us and you want to help us out, that is a quick and easy way to do so. And it really means a lot to us. Literally every time we get a new review, I text it to Charles immediately. And it it just is so touching and it, it really means a lot to us when you guys do that. So It really does. Thank you. Yes. So thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed us. It means the world. And if you have the time to do it and you want to help us out, please feel free to do so. And you can say, if you, look, if you don't like it, you can also leave us a rating and review. Um, just leave five stars, but then you can talk shit on us as much as you want. Oh, yeah. Write something real nasty. Yeah. Just five star it. But five star it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I love you. I, I love hope you too. You never. I hope I never lose you. Mm. But if you do, stay put <laughs> and don't panic. <laughs> because yes, because I I am capable of not panicking. You are. You are. You okay. are. Say it See, a few more times. <laughs> Maybe we'll. You are. It. You are. You are. Yeah, and I think. You know, uh, even though this was like a really broad theme this week, I think uh, both of these stories emphasize like the necessity of like human connection um, and how we and I I think we all learned a valuable lesson about that in the last year. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we do need other people to survive because without them, we wouldn't have the quality of life that we deserve and also we could end up losing our life and that's what makes it a scary world out there so hold on to the people you love (laughs) and we love you and we do thank you for listening bye bye don't get lost